Hey, good morning, guys. Isn't it uh, great to be able to have a band that can take a, uh, a song that is uh, actually a pretty popular song right now and uh, take and uh, perform that for us this morning? So thank you guys for being able to do that. Uh, I asked them, uh, actually, Carrie and I were talking a couple weeks ago, and uh, she was playing that song, and I said, uh, hey, you know, we're getting ready to talk about uh, a uh, Sunday on relationships coming up. Would you, uh, what do you think about playing that song? She's like, oh, yeah, she was all over it. So as you can tell, that was awesome. Uh, let's pray, and we'll get started. We'll jump into God's Word. Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, just the opportunity to meet with you here this morning. Lord, I thank you that uh, we can meet corporately together as a body, as your body, Lord. And uh, Jesus, I pray that you would speak to each one of us, that you would challenge us where we need challenge, that you would encourage us where we need encouraged, and that you would continue to lead us, Lord, uh, forward down the path that you're taking us. And uh, Jesus, I pray that you'd help us see a glimpse of you here this morning as we uh, dive into your word and see what you have to say. And it's in your precious name, Jesus, amen. Amen. I'm excited for uh, just to jump in and uh, look at this second uh, message on the series, uh, How to Wreck Your Life, that were, uh, just started last week. Uh, I have a question for you guys. How many of you guys watch American Idol? A couple of you. Okay. How many of you guys, some of you guys are like, yeah, I don't want to admit it. How many of you guys have ever seen just one episode of American Idol? Just one episode. The majority in here have watched just one episode. And uh, those of you guys, I know that it's your wife that makes you do it, so it's okay. Um, this year, there, were, there was uh, two guys that, I, that, that, again, my wife makes me watch it, so. Uh, but there are two guys that I thought, wow, these guys are amazing. The one guy was uh, James. Do you guys know who James is? Yeah, he was awesome, wasn't he? Until these little teenage puff puffs that got him voted off. Um, but he was like the ultimate rocker dude, so I thought it was amazing. There was another guy on there. His name was Casey. I don't know if you remember Casey. He was, he was a little bit eccentric, um, but uh, I thought he had an amazing voice. But, but we watched this show, American Idol, and, and it's funny that we call it American Idol, right? And uh, last week, we started our new series, How to Wreck Your Life, and, and, and the, uh, the message topic, uh, the message title was uh, Wading Through the Wreckage. And we talked about the idols within our lives that, 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 that they basically can be good things, but we king them and we make them ultimate things within our lives, right? You know, like, okay, for instance, singing is not a bad thing. It was amazing. It's awesome to see the band up here playing and leading us in some worship. They're going to come back up in a little bit and continue to lead us in some, some worship through song. But we can take and we can king those things ultimate within our life, and they become idols within our lives that rule over every facet of our lives. And, and so that's kind of what we talked about last week. And uh, we're going to continue with that a little bit today as we talk about uh, love life sabotage. Okay, I, I want you to think for a minute. How many of you guys are health conscious? A couple. Okay, okay, exactly. And there, there is a, a a theme that I see within our culture that that is leading us back to being more health conscious as as a culture. Right. I, I see kind of the undercurrent of that happening within our society. And, and what are some ways that people are becoming more health conscious? What are some of those ways? Eating better, yeah, yeah, no more McDonald's, right? In fact, McDonald's is kind of changing how they do things to try to reach a more health-conscious society. 
although they haven't got rid of the French fries. Uh, what else? How, how are people becoming a little more health conscious? Working out. Yeah, there's gyms everywhere, right? Gyms everywhere. You go over to Mount Trashmore today, you're going to see tons of people running around that track that seems like it goes forever. Uh, what are some of the, some, some of the uh, other ways people are a little more health conscious? Anything else? Yeah, yeah, you change your lifestyle. So it, it's funny. I, I uh, just in the last couple months, have started that, that cool trend, right? Um, but, but I actually started it based upon a challenge, but I've continued with it, uh, going to the gym and uh, trying to eat a little bit better. I, I got to admit, though, sometimes there's, there's those cravings. Um, but, uh, but I can tell you that now that I'm going to the gym more, trying to be a little more fit than I was before, I have more energy. How many of you guys feel like you have more energy, Right. You feel better about yourself as a whole. You know, it's amazing when those old clothes start to fit again. It's like a whole new wardrobe, right? Um, but uh, <clears throat> but I remember that first week going to the gym, and it had been years since I, I had been in a gym. That first week, I was uh, uh, I was on the treadmill for like an eternity, and then we were lifting weights. And then the guy that I was with that was training with me, he wanted me to go do some, some abs. And I was like, abs, what is that? You know, I've never done abs before. And, and so he gets me over to do these abs. And literally, honestly, we're doing these abs. And I'm like, dude, I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> but, but I remember that first week. And that is one of the things that keeps me going back because I don't want to go back to that first week again. That was torturous. It was horrible, right? But, but our culture is starting to, to tell us, you know, that they're starting to try to bring us back to a place of health, right? Trying to bring us up back to a place, I would say, of life. Because I, I feel like, you know, when we're healthy, there's more life, right? And so our culture is trying to bring us back to those things. But, but as we talk about this idea of pursuing idols, these things that we can ultimate within our lives, the, these good things that we make great, really kill us from the inside out, right? They really take that life out of us, take that health out of us, these things, that, these good things that we king ultimate. And so that's kind of where I want to go this morning. I was thinking about it this week, and I thought about it, and I thought, you know, those lesser loves that we crown ultimate within our lives, when you have a lesser love than God, Track with me here. When you have a lesser love than God, you end up becoming like that love. Does that make sense? So those things that I place over God, over time, I start to become that, don't I? Track with me here. Let me continue. Think about it. That which you love becomes a part of your life, right? Like, like for instance, I am a, I'm a sports fan. I love sports. Okay, I love football. I love basketball. Um, there is this one thing they kick a ball around. I'm not even sure what that's all about. But uh, <clears throat> I love sports. Now, I can take and I can crown that ultimate within my life. And I will become that. Now, I'm not saying I'll become a great athlete. But that will affect every area of my life. Okay, Over time, it can steal life from me. For instance, if I let sports consume me, will it affect my family? 
Absolutely. Will it affect how I speak? Absolutely. Will it affect how I think? Absolutely. Will it affect how I see things? Absolutely. Because if there's a big game on, guess what, guys? You're out of luck, right? So it'll, it'll affect every area of my life. Now, I'm a Cleveland sports fan, and so I have to be extra careful. Because if I allow that to be ultimate within my life, I become a loser, all right? <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. How many of you guys are Cleveland fans? I know there's a couple in here. A couple, right? And some of you guys are too embarrassed to raise your hands. Um, that's all right. How many of you guys are Skins fans? The same thing's true, guys. <laughs> but do you, do you see that? When we allow those things in our lives to become ultimate, all right, those idols, because that can become an idol over time. When we allow that to become ultimate within our life, it affects every facet of our life. It affects how we see things. It affects how we hear things. It affects what we say and what we speak. It affects every facet of our lives. There's a... Uh, there's an author, his name's Timothy Keller. Have you guys ever heard of Timothy Keller? Anybody in here? A couple? Okay. Um, he, uh, I, I really like Timothy Keller. I've, I've only read, well, I'm about halfway through one of his books. But uh, one of the things that I truly believe in is having somebody mentor you, disciple you, coach you. And so I've had a guy that has coached me through this process of starting a new church. What did I know about starting a new church before I started? Not much. And so I had another guy that has the experience, has the wisdom, that has started a church up in Maryland and has started like five other churches out of his church. And I've had him coach me along the way. I'll talk to him every couple weeks about direction and vision and just, you know, what the next steps are, okay? And uh, the reason I mention that is my coach actually had a job offer from Timothy Keller, Okay. Timothy Keller is a pastor up in New York City. I think his name of the church is Redeemer Church. And uh, he, uh, he's a big church planning guy, Timothy Keller. And you'll see him. And he's, Timothy Keller is all over the news sometimes, uh, secular news, talking about uh, basically trying to help the, the uh, secular culture understand who God is. Okay? And so uh, Timothy Keller, though, is a big church planning guy. He's trying to start this movement in New York City by reaching basically into the school system, trying to help those that are young, you know, junior high-ish age, find a relationship with Christ, train them and teach them how to live biblically, okay, missionally. And then his prayer is that those children will raise up and become church planters and missionaries in that city, as Scripture calls us to be. You know, whatever facet, whatever stage of life, whatever part of life that you're in, God calls us, if we know him, to take the gospel to those that we know, okay? And and so that's what Timothy Keller is trying to do there. And he was uh, actually uh, uh, kind of uh, looking at at the guy that's coaching me as as, uh, bringing him in to lead that whole vision, that whole movement that he wants to see happen in New York City. But the reason I bring that up is Timothy Keller gives a great example in one of his books about, uh, about a lady named uh, Sally. Okay? Now, now, Sally had the misfortune of being born beautiful. Okay? Sally had the misfortune of being born beautiful. I know I say that, and some of you ladies are like, well, how is that misfortunate? Now, I've been aiming for that my whole life, or, 
Or, you know, I, I would love to be that, that, that supermodel on the magazine covers. But honestly, Sally had the misfortune of being born beautiful. And I say that because Sally would manipulate the relationships within her life. Because she was beautiful, she could get people to do anything for her. Until there came a phase within her life where guys started manipulate her to get whatever they could from her. And you see, this, this, uh, <clears throat> this beauty that Sally had, eventually became less and less satisfying. This love that she was seeking became less and less satisfying and became more and more addictive. And it created this vicious cycle. And so Sally had the misfortune of being born beautiful. But I mention that because I think within the makeup of who we are as individuals, we desire to be loved, don't we? There is this, 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 this instinct within us, this yearning within us to be loved and accepted. Okay? And that's not a bad thing. That's, that's part of God, how God created us. He created us to be relational beings. Because God himself is a relational being. Okay? God is relational. And God created us as, as his people, as people in general, to be relational beings. Okay? So this, there's this yearning, this desire for love that we're seeking. Okay? Now, now, with that in mind, I, I want to show you an example of this in uh, Genesis 29. So if you turn to your scriptures, go to Genesis 29, first book in the Bible. If, if you don't have a Bible with you, slip your hand up. We would love to give you one as Raymond comes down the aisle with a Bible. So if you don't have one, slip your hand up, and we can give you one. And uh, you can take this Bible with you, and it can be your Bible. But turn to Genesis 29. As you're turning there, we can spend our entire lives looking for love. Okay? But until we get to the place where we discover that, that love is ultimately found through God, we will spend our lives looking and looking and looking for a God-sized love from people, okay? And not that, not that we don't want to be in relationship with people. We do. That is healthy. But we can't put the expectations on people of a God-sized love, okay, as Sally was doing. But let, let's continue. You'll see what I mean in this example in Genesis 29. This is a story of Jacob. Jacob uh, left his home. <clears throat> He was the son of Isaac, and, uh, and Jacob starts to uh, travel out. And Jacob is on a hunt for his wife, okay? Jacob is on a hunt for his wife. And uh, I'm sorry, we're not going to be there yet. I'm going to get there in a second in the back, guys. Jacob is on a hunt for his wife. I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you guys are hunting for your wife? There's some honest young men. Thank you. And I know there's others. A lot of them are actually on a ship right now. Um, <laughs> They went to the wrong place, so the ships are full of men, right? Um, but uh, but, but we, they're, they're, Jacob is on a hunt for his wife. Look, let me show you these images. All right, this, this might help you guys out. All right, wife hunt. You can buy that shirt. All right, you can let everybody know you're on a wife hunt. So if she's out there, she'll, she'll find you. You don't have to find her. All right, next image. 
I would not recommend dressing like this. All right. I would recommend not approaching a wife hunt in this manner uh, with, with your dad and with a dog and dress in fatigues and probably a shotgun. You're not going to find probably the wife that you're looking for. All right. Uh, this next one. This guy's gone a little bit overboard. All right. <clears throat> this guy's gone a little bit overboard. Trust me, young guys, one wife is enough to handle. All right. You don't need four, or whatever this guy's at right now. Seriously, though. <laughs> Seriously, though. Jacob is on a wife hunt, all right? And he goes to, to this area, and, and you have to understand a, a cultural difference here. Jacob goes to his uncle. Hey, uncle, I'm looking for a wife, all right? It's a cultural difference, so he, I understand it doesn't fit in today. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. That's just a little bit creepy. All right, work with me here. It's a cultural difference in Scripture. But uh, Jacob goes to his uncle Laban to find his wife, right? And he starts working for his uncle. <clears throat> He's working for a couple days, a week maybe. And his uncle comes up to him and his uncle says, Hey, I appreciate you being here. This is great. <clears throat> You're working hard. I don't want you to work for nothing, though. What can I pay you with for the work that you're doing? Well, Jacob, he, he thinks for a minute. He says, well, wait a minute. I'm kind of on a wife hunt. Uncle, Rachel's kind of hot. All right? Now, unfortunately, Rachel has a sister, and she's kind of not. All right? Rachel's hot. Lee is not. All right? But he says, uh, he says Uncle, if I work for you <clears throat> for seven years, will you let me have Rachel as my bride? So Uncle Laban says, oh, that's a great idea. Sure, Jacob. So Jacob works seven years to be able to marry Rachel. <clears throat> Have you guys ever done No, never mind. Um, <clears throat> he works seven years to be able to marry Rachel. He gets to the seven-year mark. They have this big, huge celebration. Well, Uncle Laban is not the most honest guy in the world. He slips Leah to Jacob, not Rachel. And so they consummate their marriage that night. Jacob wakes up and he's like, wait a minute, this is not Rachel. This is Leah. So he goes back to his uncle and he says, uncle, you uh, really did a bad thing, dude. You, you, you can mess this all up. I, I worked for you for seven years to marry Rachel, not Leah. And so Uncle Laban says, well, work for me for another seven years and I'll give you Rachel. Now I bring that up because I want you to look here in, in Genesis 29. I think it starts in verse 31. And I want you to watch Leah's response. I want you to think for a minute. What is Leah thinking through this whole time? This whole time that Jacob wants to be with Rachel and not with Leah. This lasts for seven years. Okay? I want you to think what Leah thinks about herself, how she views herself, because she is trying to get her husband to love her. Watch this. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved... He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Okay? Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. And then what does the last part there say, guys? Surely my husband will love me now. Watch what happens. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, her husband didn't love her, that I am not loved he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. It continues again. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me. 
He'll finally love me. He'll finally see me as beautiful. Because I have borne him three sons. Not just one, but three. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time, wait a minute, this time, I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Now you have to understand something here. That word Lord, all uppercase letters, is the name Yahweh in the Hebrew language. Yahweh is the personal name for God, is a close and intimate name for God. The name for God that God wants to walk with you through life, hand in hand, that God wants to carry you through the difficulties. That is the name that Leah uses to describe God. There's another one, Lord, which is uppercase L, lowercase, the rest of the letters. That is a more distant God, okay? The Creator, But Leah chooses to describe God as a close and intimate God because she realized something through those seven years. She realized as she continued to conceive and have children and continued to go after the the love of her husband Jacob that she was becoming more and more dissatisfied. As the example of Sally that we talked about a couple minutes ago. As Sally tried to pursue that love that she thought was going to make her satisfied. And she became less and less satisfied. The same example of Leah. Until Leah understood that it is only God's love who can satisfy. Now I say this to you guys. I love my wife. I love my marriage. I love my family. But I can tell you that I try to make darn sure that I do not place that God-sized love that I need in my life, that I don't place that expectation on my wife. Because it will drown my marriage. Because my wife cannot stand up to God. Okay? Now, I I know that... We talk about this, and, and I can stand up here and tell you that it's only God's love who is going to satisfy the deepest crevice of who you are. Okay? It is only a personal walk and relationship with Jesus Christ that is going to satisfy your desire to be loved. I can stand up here and tell you that. And, and I've showed you some scriptures. I gave you an example out of scripture. But I am also aware that some of us will move down that path of choosing to wreck my life. I understand that some of us will continue to sabotage the relationships within our life because we choose not to go after that ultimate love of knowing who God is. And we will choose to try to have others fill that emptiness that only God can fill. And so for those of you guys that want to choose that path, I want to help you do that. All right? Those of you that want to choose that path of running away from God and saying, yeah, what you're saying, doesn't, it, it, it doesn't matter. I want to run away from what the scriptures say, so I want to help you do that, okay? <clears throat> Here's five ways you can wreck your life. All right, five ways. Write these down if you want. Become great at being ungrateful. 
All right? So if you just want to wreck your life, wreck your relationships, maybe your marriage, maybe the future of being married, if you want to wreck the whole thing, become great at being ungrateful. Resent the goodness in other people's lives. Okay? Never be thankful that you live in a country where you live in the top 3% of the world economically. All right? So if you want to wreck your life, become great at being ungrateful. The second thing here, guys, again, I'm doing this as a favor, okay? I want to help you out. So if you want to totally screw your life out, this is how you do it, all right? So you can't say I didn't help you. Number two, compare what you have to people who have more, all right? So if you totally want to mess things up, compare what you have to people who have more. Uh, Compare to those who have more. If you like your house... Just go down the street and see one of those show homes. I guarantee you won't like your house anymore. All right? Just go see one of the show homes. Um, if, uh, <clears throat> compare, your, compare your spouse. You know, ladies, compare the clothes that you wear. Compare your hair and your nails and your car and all those things, okay? Compare what you have to other people if you want to wreck your life. It's easy, okay? The third thing here, pursue temporary possessions over eternal treasures, because obviously, I want to have as much as I could get right now. All right? So pursue temporary possessions over eternal treasures. Honestly, guys, your life is all about what you can get. All right? Again, I'm trying to help you out. Your life is all about what you can get. All right? So when you leave here, go get something. All right? Your life is all about what you can get. Status and stuff. Life is all about, guys... Check this out. Life is all about <clears throat> bucks, blondes, and bricks. Okay? So go get all the money you can get. Blondes, you guys can fill in the blank. And bricks, get the biggest house you can get, okay? That's what life is all about. Okay? Blondes, bucks, and bricks. It'll make life wonderful. Okay? <clears throat> the fourth thing here. Resent God for where you are in life. Okay? So if you're married... God, why did you get me married? It's not your fault. If you are not married, God, I want to get married. So resent God for wherever you're at in life right now. Okay? Just resent him. It works out pretty well. If you don't have a job you want, cheat to get one that you do want. All right? Lie to get where you want to be. It works every time. Lie to get what you want to be, where you want to be, what you want. It works every time. So resent God for where you're at in life. The last one, guys, you've got to nail this one if you want to wreck your life. The last one. Develop an attitude of entitlement. You deserve whatever you want. Okay? You deserve whatever you want. Let's be honest on this. If you honestly want a $120,000 boat on a $30,000 salary, you deserve it. Go get it. Okay? That's the way it works. Go get it. So the five things, guys, if you don't want to hear anything else that I heard this morning and you want to totally mess your life up and totally not pursue God himself and fill that emptiness that you're yearning for, that love that you're desiring, if you totally don't want to do that, five things mess your life up. Become great at being ungrateful. You guys can jot these down. You might need it later. Become great at being ungrateful. Compare what you have to people who have more. Pursue temporary possessions over eternal treasures. 
Resent God for where you're at in life because it's God's fault. And develop an attitude of entitlement. You want, you want it, you go get it. Okay? Now, how bizarre does that sound? How ridiculous is that? That's pretty ridiculous. But the sad part of that, even though we may not say those things, a lot of times we live by those things subconsciously. Look at these verses. God tells us in Scripture that this is not the way to live. God warns us ahead of time that these things will wreck your life. Look at this. Hebrews 12.28 Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be what? Thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. The next one. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who can commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are what? Not wise. The next one. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The next one. You are, God and you are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? God is our stronghold. The next one. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now the sad truth is, guys, is that I can show all of these scriptures, that I can be cynical in my approach and tell you what to do to truly mess things up and kind of make light of it. But the sad truth is, is that many of us will do those exact things and wonder why at the end of the day I am so dissatisfied. That's the sad truth. Wonder why at the end of the day that I'm walking in my own wreckage. What it comes down to is how we live this life reflects what we truly believe. How we live this life reflects what we truly believe. And when I say these things, I know that bad things can happen in our lives, and it may not necessarily be our fault, okay? So I'm not saying that everything that goes wrong in your life is because you've made a mess of it. That's not what I'm saying. But I do know that some of the things that go wrong in our life is because we've asked for it. But those other things that may go wrong in our lives that we don't ask for I want us to understand something, that God is walking with us through it. That whatever uh, the, the mess is, okay, and the mess can list a whole bunch of things, that whatever that mess is, God can walk with us through it. 
And all we have to do is cry out to God and say, I don't understand. I don't know why. Will you walk with me? And I promise you that if you truly want God to walk with you, that he will. Whether you already have a relationship with Christ and you said you've come to that place in life and you surrendered your life and said, God, I can't do this, take my life. Maybe you've already made that decision and you just need to go back to God and say, God, please lead my life. I'm going through a difficult time. Please lead me through this. Others of you may have not come to that place where you say, God, take my life, where you've surrendered your life over to Christ. And, and you may be in the place of saying, God, I don't know who you are even, but I just, I want to know you. I want to know who you are. I want you to walk with me through this. Will you show me who you are? And will you walk with me through this? And I promise you, wherever you're at within that journey, that God will walk with you through that. Now, we have certain responsibilities. When I'm making decisions, I go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? Okay. And so I would challenge us to make decisions based upon God's word and based upon where God is leading. Not necessarily what I want, but knowing that God knows best. Okay? We have responsibilities to, to, to be in God's word, to know who he is truly. We have responsibilities to worship together, to be a, an encouragement to one another, to be a challenge to one another as I prayed at the beginning, that God would challenge us where we need challenged, encourage us where we need encouraged, and lead us where we need led. But we have to allow him to do that. As the band comes up and continues to lead us in worship, I want you to think through those things. Am I truly placing God as my ultimate love in my life? Is he higher than anything else in my life? Think through those things. Work with God on that and see what he's doing. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Jesus, I thank you that you died a painful death on a cross so that you would pay the ultimate payment for our messiness, for our sin, for our rebellion, for our screw-ups. And Jesus, I pray that you would help us to identify that that price has already been paid. And all we need to do is turn to you, give you ownership and rulership over our lives, and ask you to walk with us through this life. So Jesus, I pray that you would help us to struggle through that now as we continue to worship you in song. It's in your precious name, Jesus, amen.